Tim, we sing that song, There is Power in the Name of Jesus. I always think, you know, what a wonderful song that is. And I, I wonder, why don't we sing it more often? Why don't I choose it more often? And then we get to that bit higher. And I think, that's the reason why. That's why I don't. <laughs> I know what goes wrong there. Yeah, for me anyway. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles. I'm going to read um, from Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 8. And here Paul says, For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual music. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's just pray. Father, we come to you as your people, and you know that, that we want to, to please you. We want to live that, that life in the Spirit. And it breaks our hearts sometimes that we seem to fail to, to live the way that we believe that we should be living. Lord, help us tonight to be open and responsive to your Holy Spirit that we might know and obey what you call us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you that that come regularly uh, don't mind that I've fast-forwarded a fair bit through Ephesians tonight from chapter 1 to chapter 5. That is a jump. But I've done this for two reasons. First, because for a variety of reasons, it's been quite busy over the past two weeks with this continuing on into next week, and there's stuff I had to get prepared for next week. And the passage that we should have been looking at tonight, well, I I really needed more time to to get my head around about it. The second reason why I've jumped onto this particular passage, though, tonight, is because I believe that what this opens up for us is what needs to practically be in place in our lives in order for us to be able to live out to lay hold of the kind of fullness of life, the richness of blessing that Paul sets out for us in Ephesians 1 as the the spiritual heritage of every true believing Christian. And you know, we need to be living this life. We need to be living the Christian life at its very best in the face of the kind of challenges that, that we're confronted by as Christians and as a church at this particular point in our nation's history. For as well as the the different challenges 
that we face in common with, with our fellow citizens, you know, the terrorist threat, economic uncertainty, growing division and unrest, as well as these things and so many other challenges that we face with every person in Britain today, as well as this, we face unique challenges. Those of us who are Christians, as Christians and as a community, as a church. For increasingly, we're becoming marginalized. Our views, our standards that, that once, not that long ago, were mainstream in society are now seen as extreme. To defend living a life characterized by biblical standards, by a biblical worldview that a few years ago was widely accepted, marks you out today as a bigot, a fanatic. And then sharing the Christian faith in this kind of context it isn't easy. It's far from it. Because we're now moving on from being faced by the apathy of a, a society that mistakenly thinks that science has disposed of the need for God to an actual more aggressive hostility from those who feel that the Christian faith opposes a threat to their freedom, for their, to their freedom to be who and what they want to be. Now, of course, the reality is that that freedom is in actuality a slavery to self and to sin. And that the only true freedom to be found actually lies in living life as God created it to be lived. The true freedom is living life as God wants it to be lived. So, we face then big challenges today. Of course, there are also wonderful opportunities in this spiritually starved nation. Wonderful opportunities for Christians who seek to really live the Christian life, for churches who really want to be the church as the Bible understands the church. But how can we face these challenges? How can we take these opportunities? How can we live the kind of Christian life that Paul speaks of in Ephesians 1, the kind of Christian life that God wants every Christian to live. Well, you know, for me, just thinking of this brings to mind uh, memories that I have of one of my favorite uncles. He was a kind of um, wild and unpredictable character. Most of my uncles actually were, but he was the kind of uncle that children love. You know, he did all sorts of crazy things. And one of my abiding memories is when I was about five or six, going out for a drive with him in his car when we were visiting him. And he said to me, do you want to drive? Hey. You know, and it was great. It was exciting to be sitting there on his knee holding this wheel and driving this car. And I was kind of thinking to myself, you know, why do grown-ups make such a big deal out of this? Why can't I get doing this all the time? But then I looked down and I saw that at the bottom of the steering wheel, his finger was actually holding it. Of course, as later I realized it was his feet that were on the pedals. I mean, it's quite tall then, but even then they wouldn't stretch that far. You see, but all the time, as I trusted in him, as I was dependent on him, it was him who was enabling. It was him who was making it happen. He was in control. And do you know something? That made me happy. Because secretly, 
I didn't want to be doing this all on my own. That was way too scary for a little boy. And in exactly the same way, God doesn't leave us on our own to tackle all that's involved in being his and being part of his church at this scary point in history we find ourselves on. No, rather, in the person and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he enables us, he empowers us, he's ready to do that. If only we seek him. God is with us. We are not on our own. Well, that maybe sounds great, but what does it actually mean in reality? in practice. Yes, and how can we be sure that God's with us, that God's actually at work in us? What are the signs, what are the characteristics of this that reveal themselves in our lives and in our church? In a few minutes, I want to look, at, look with you at some of the, the main and, and particular signs that indicate that God is at work in our people. But before I, I later do that, let me First, just make a general point regarding the working of the Holy Spirit within us. And that is, although every Christian receives the Spirit at their conversion, for Romans 8, 9 says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. And although as a a result of this, that the dominating power of sin is broken in our lives, Romans 6 verse 6 says, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Yet still, as long as we are in this fleshly body, until then, our death or Jesus Christ's return Sin still does have an attraction for us. We can still choose to sin. You see, our advantage, our distinctive as Christians, is that we can choose not to. But we can still choose to sin. That's why in places like Colossians 3.5, we're told there to put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Why in Galatians 5.16, Paul again says, he says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And that's why, in this especially significant passage here in the Bible, Ephesians 5, from verse 15 on, why we are told, be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And you see that phrase, be filled with the Spirit, isn't talking about doing something That's a one-off, just kidding, one day let's just be filled with the Spirit. No, it's talking about something that's an ongoing process. It Literally, what it's saying is, it's saying, keep on continually being filled with the Spirit. You see, what Paul's telling us is that that's the way to avoid debauchery. That's the way to avoid falling back into a life of sin. That that's the way to avoid living a powerless Christian life. 
by choosing, by deciding day after day, continuously to keep on being filled with the Spirit. And that also involves by doing day after day that which is necessary, whatever is necessary, that we might keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit and so empowered by the Holy Spirit. So then, what is that? What is it that we need to do to keep on continuously being filled, being empowered with the Spirit of God, with our our spiritual capacity growing as we grow and mature? The filling goes on and on. Our capacity gets greater and greater. Well, let me share what I believe are are four key words here that, that relate to this. The first is expectation. That is, we have to have an expectation. We have to have a faith that God can do more in us than He's already done. You see, if we think that that what we have now, that what we've experienced, that this is all that there is, that maybe what happened on the day of our conversion or the day of our baptism, that that was it. That we can't really expect to go much beyond that in terms of spiritual experience. If that is it, if that is the level of our spiritual expectation, of our faith and our desire for the spiritual life, well, I want to say to you that I believe that that lack of of openness to God is a real barrier to an ever-developing, ever-more Spirit-filled life. For you see, if we have a low or even no expectation of a growing, developing, Spirit-filled life, if we've got no faith for that, and because of that, no desire, no hunger for more of the Lord, more of God, more of His Spirit, well then, should we be surprised if God then doesn't bless us with more? Should we be surprised if our spiritual experience is less than it should be? So I think an important first step to fill in in with the Spirit is to pray. To pray regularly, to pray daily, to pray as often as we need to pray, Lord, fill me, fill us with your Spirit. Lord, I want more of you today than I knew yesterday. Another key word here, I believe, besides expectation, is yielded. That our lives need to be surrendered to God if we're going to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to be ready to do whatever He asks us, to go wherever He sends us, ready to be whatever He wants us to be before the Lord is going to entrust more of His life and His power to us. As Romans 12 verse 1 says, he says there, Paul says, Therefore, he says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. A third closely connected keyword in this whole process of being filled with God's Spirit is dependent. 
Galatians 2 verse 20 says, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, it's as we live like this, as we live yielded to God, dependent upon God, that we can then expect God to pour his life and power into our lives and can therefore expect to overcome. But if to the contrary, we try to live the Christian life in our own strength, maybe paying lip service to faith and yieldedness and surrender, but actually in reality, trying to do it on our own. If we're doing that, if we're trying to live the Christian life in our own strength, let me tell you, we are doomed to suffer constant defeat and ongoing failure in the Christian life. A classic biblical example of this is, I think, what happened to the people of Israel in Joshua just after their great victory at Jericho. For you see, after that, they went on from there to the much smaller city of Ai. And because at the command of the Lord, they'd taken Jericho simply by walking around the city, so they felt, well, you know, it's easy for us. So they decided just to send two or 3,000 men to take Ai. But, and this is what's important, they didn't seek God on this. They weren't dependent on God. And the result of that was disaster and defeat. Joshua 7 verse 4 says they were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gates as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the heart of the people melted and became like water. The final key word that relates to us living a a spirit-filled life is obedience. Obedience to the commands of God. For 1 John 2 verse 6 says, it says, whoever claims to live in him must walk. That is, must live. Live as Jesus did. You see, a prerequisite for being filled with God's Holy Spirit is that we are seeking to live lives that are holy, that are pure, that are obedient to God. And a failure to live like this means that we will be, as Ephesians 4.30 says, it means that we will grieve the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, that we will put out the Spirit's fire. Now, and I think this is a really important thing for us to grasp tonight. What we have to grasp here is that all of this applies not just to us, applies not just at the individual level, but it also applies at the church level as well. In fact, this letter was written to churches that as a church, as we are expectant, as we have the faith to believe that God can work in power among us, that God can do more among us than he has before, 
And as we are yielded to Him, as we are dependent on Him, as we are surrendered to Him, then we can expect God to bless us to a degree we pray like we've never known before. With the opposite, of course, also equally being true. For the Bible makes it abundantly clear that the Lord by His Spirit gives or withholds blessing according to whether or not He is pleased with the situation that He sees. Just an example. The Holy Spirit came upon Samson a number of times. But ultimately, the Spirit left him because he persisted in sin. Judges 16.20, after his betrayal by Delilah, tells us that Samson, that he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And Saul as well, because of persistent disobedience, had a very similar experience. 1 Samuel 16, 14 says, The Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. And similarly, when the people of God as a body rebelled against the Lord and grieved the Holy Spirit, he turned against the people, the nation of Israel. Isaiah 63, verse 10 says they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. So He turned and became their enemy, and He Himself fought against them. Now, in the New Testament, as we've already seen, it's exactly the same. Exactly the same. Disobedience to God grieves and quenches His Spirit. But an openness, an expectation that God by His Spirit will work. Yieldedness to God, a dependence on God, obedience to God, living like this, brings the blessing of God. And of course, the greatest example of this is Jesus. Because He had all of these qualities. He had them in abundance. And so John 1.32 tells us, that the Spirit remained on him. John 3.34, that he was given Jesus of the Spirit without limit. But listen, I want to tell you, I want to tell you tonight, the Holy Spirit will not force himself upon us. Now, we've got to open our lives to him. We've got to open our life together to him. We have to have the desire for Him to work. But, and I, I tell you, I do believe that God does have more for us. That as we are expectant, yielded, dependent, obedient to Him, that not only will He fill our lives more and more by the Spirit, no, but I believe that He also will bless us in this church by His Spirit. And He can in a way unlike anything we've known before. As we get moving, God will start blessing. But the start of it all is that desire, that hunger for more of God in each of our hearts in our church. What though are the particular signs of this? What kind of things should we expect more and more to see 
as God by the Spirit is increasingly at work within his people. What are the signs that tell us that God is at work among us? Well, Wayne Grudem, who's a a writer I've got a great admiration for, he suggests that there are four main evidences in the Bible of the presence and blessing of God among his people. Yes, that as God by his Spirit is present among his people to bless, that there are four main things that he does. First, he empowers. Of course he does, for God is the life giver, and he will give life and power to the people who please him. He's done this right from the earliest days of his dealing with men. First Samuel eleven six tells us that the Holy Spirit came mightily upon Saul to anoint him for battle against the enemies of Israel. And first Samuel sixteen thirteen it says that as David was anointed as king, it says that the Holy Spirit came mightily upon David from that day forward. But you see, in the Old Testament, it was just certain people who were empowered by the Spirit. Sometimes just for certain periods and for special tasks. But in the New Testament, though, all of that changes. All of God's people are given power for service and witness. I mean, Acts 1.8 says, it says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's a fact. All God's people, all God's serving, loving people are given gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, and are given power to witness and to serve. So do you see then, what will be the signs, some of the signs that that God's Spirit is truly having His way among the people and the leadership of His church here? What will be the signs? It will be when more and more people have got a desire to serve. When more and more people are ready to sacrificially serve, when we've got so many people looking for opportunities to serve, that instead of making appeals, that we'll be fighting and struggling to find ministries for them. And the sign that that God's Spirit is actually having His way in the church in terms of witness, that He's enabling us to do what by ourselves we are unable to do, maybe feel too clumsy, too inadequate, too afraid to do, that is to witness effectively and boldly for Him. The sign that that's happening will be when this church is so full that we've got to, to look for land, not just because we want to have it, but because we need it to do the work God is calling us to do. And I say, I mean, is that impossible? Is that impossible? If our lives are really given over to God, yielded to God, is it beyond God by His Spirit to do that here today? Of course it's not. Another sign of this is purity. Because you see, the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of the Holy God. And so as increasingly He's given His way in in our life or in the church, as increasingly we're yielded and dependent and surrendered and obedient to Him, so we will grow then in our desire for holiness, for purity. 
we'll grow in our desire to be like Jesus, to be more like him, and in our commitment to God and his service. You see, we'll want to read the Bible. We'll want to pray. We'll want to be at prayer meetings. These things won't be a chore. No, as God's Spirit is given free reign in our lives, we'll want to be there. We'll want to do those things. And we'll want it because these are ways that we can get to know our holy God better. These are ways that we can see His way more clearly. These are ways in which we can grow to be more like Him. Another thing that we can expect to see the the Spirit do in our lives and in our church as we're walking close to the Spirit is guide. You see, God's Holy Spirit guides. We've been looking at that over recent weeks. He guides through His Word. He guides in special ways through dreams and visions. He can direct Word from God. He guides through circumstances. He guides through wise counselors. However, most commonly, the New Testament talks about God's people being led by the Holy Spirit. And what that seems to be talking of is that by opening up our lives to God, by yielding our lives to God, and then by reading His Word and by seeking Him in prayer, so because of that, in the context of relationship, so we grow to know the Lord more. We grow closer to Him. We grow to know His ways more and more. We grow ever more sensitive to Him. And so we begin to have an almost spiritually instinctive feel for what God's saying, how He's guiding in a situation. Therefore then, when as God's people, more and more we have a common mind about the way that God's leading us, then that is a sign that God's Spirit is having His way among the people of the Lord. The fourth and connected final indicator that as a church we're walking close to the Spirit is unity. You see, the Spirit of God brings unity among the people. For we have a fellowship, Philippians 2.1 says, in the Spirit. We share in the Spirit. And that then should show if we really are living in that fellowship, that should work its way out in the way that we actually practically live together. In the way we love one another, share with one another, care for one another, and forgive one another in order to preserve unity. Ephesians 4, 3 tells us we have to make every effort, it says, to keep that unity, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But, but let me say here, what I've just said here over the last few minutes, that doesn't mean that we're not allowed opinions. It doesn't mean that we've got to follow the party line, that we're not allowed different opinions. No, but what it means is that when, as God's people, we seek His will, so then when we share what we believe God's saying, that we will always do that lovingly and graciously and humbly. And it also mean that we're ready to listen to others, to what they believe God's saying, 
And that even when we disagree with them, even when we see things in different ways, that we'll do so graciously and not disagreeably. But then, however, when a final decision has been made by the church, when God's people together have decided how they feel God is guiding, well then, a commitment to support that decision as best we can, as a symbol of our unity, that is a token, I believe, of a spiritual maturity and of the infilling of the Spirit of God. To finish, you know, there are some big challenges facing the church today. And as individuals, we've got big challenges that we're facing as well. And we want to be the church God wants us to be. We want to be all that God has called us to be. We do. We want to reach out and serve this community. And we want to make the love of Jesus real to them. We want to reach out to the lost. We want to see people finding Jesus in all his glory here among us. These are big challenges. But let me tell you. With God's help, we can do it. As we are expectant of God, open to God, as we're yielded to the Spirit, dependent on the Spirit, as we're ready to be obedient, and so as in response God works among us, we can do it. By His power, led by Him, united as a people under Him, under His authority, we can do it. In Him, we can. We can do more, far more, than we've ever done before. It all begins, though, at that point of desire for God, of hunger for God, of openness to God. I tell you, if that is where we are, God will do it. May God bring us as a church, as his people, to that point. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for the incredible resource of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we know that we don't tap into that resource enough. That so often we're not hungry for you, we're hungry for other things. Lord, how we thank you that you are a gracious God. And that as we turn to you again, that you're ready to come. You're ready to bless. You're ready to fill us with your spirit. You're ready to use us. Lord, may we be ready now. May we be eager and hungry for more of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.